welcome everyone this is now the fourth episode of army of smartness i am your co-host ryan purvis and with me as always mr jd blevins jd how are you sir ryan i am live in an exciting color if you will um well i would be on co in color if we were doing a video version of this podcast but live so that's as good as we can do for right now that's good to hear jd good to hear uh, we want you to be live at least uh a few people do mm. and uh yeah, opinions I, vary i wouldn't mind being live as well there you go but uh anyways we're at our fourth episode jd I, i'm getting some good feedback on the show so far so good we haven't been canceled yet uh, both figuratively and literally we're <laughs> they have no choice we're uh we're on we're online and in your kitchen on your headphones, in your car, wherever it is that you listen to us, we really appreciate the support. Of course, we also want some more, uh, want some more five-star reviews. We want some more shout outs, a little bit more activity on social media. We'd really welcome in any of the feedback guys. We're on Twitter at army of smartness. We're on Facebook army of smartness and our email is army of smartness at gmail.com. If you have good comments, nasty comments, whatever comments, so long as you comment, uh, that's what that's we're right. For. And while we're on the subject of shout outs, I want to give one to a friend of the podcast who asked to remain nameless, but sent me a very, very heartfelt gift of a cracked magazine. When's the last time you saw one of those? Uh, featuring several different pro wrestlers. It was re released around the time of the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan's match at uh, WrestleMania six, if memory serves, if I can do the counting off the top of my head. So a uh, great article, great, great jokes in it about the, about pro wrestling and just a really, really great, um, surprise. So thank you friend of the show. Absolutely. Friend of the show. We would love, we would love to get some more feedback. If you uh, want to give us some feedback, please do it. And if you want to send me a gift, uh, you know, slide into my DMS, I could use a copy of, uh, I'm more of a mad magazine type guy. So, well, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're the rogue renegade outsiders over here at crack. <laughs> you're too mainstream with your mad magazine. This is true. This is true. Well, JD, I just want to, uh, do a bit of housekeeping here. I noticed on our last episode, we did go off on a little bit of a tangent and dealing what? with uh, imagine that, huh? We yeah. had a little bit of a tangent on the Monroe doctrine and we both failed to mention one key term on that. And that was the Roosevelt corollary, the corollary. I almost uh, did. I almost said that the Roosevelt it, corollary. Yeah. And it came to me about the time that we ended the episode and I was just like, dang it. My history teacher from high school would kill me. Uh, but <laughs> so far I'm trying to convince her to uh, listen to the episode, but I, I don't know if I, if I do that, then she'll hear that and start screaming at the, uh, at Hey, the, just uh, tell her it wound up on the cutting room floor, the digital cutting room floor. Well, I don't know if she'll buy that, but she won't now that we've said it on this episode. Absolutely. So before we get started into our show today for the class of champion 17, we do want to make just a brief mention on what went down with raw last night jd did you catch raw i caught raw in the background uh as you know i have a, a busy life so i didn't notice all the nuances but i understand from what i did see that the mystery of dexter loomis's uh re continued apace which is great uh they're kind of slow rolling it it seems like 
which is fantastic. It, it makes you want to watch week to week. And that's the kind of hook that I think has been missing for a while in, in professional wrestling generally, but especially in the WWE product. I, I agree. I, I do like the subtleties of what's going on with Dexter Loomis. I think there's more to it. I'm not sure it's all him. The there's obviously in raw, there was a subtlety of the, I say subtlety, but a trash can was on fire. Subtly uh, on fire. It was very subtle. It was, it was smoky. Uh, you never actually saw the fire on that. Adam Pierce was also in the background, uh, complaining that he was attacked to uh, security and in the middle of a brawl between Dolph Ziggler and theory, there was a arm, a rather familiar looking arm with glove on it in, on the danger, whatever closet door that was. And it's almost like he was trying to let someone in. So I don't know. Is he know. doing a muscle man dance? That's the question. There seems to be question over whether or not that is Dexter Loomis's glove or if it's the Fiend's glove. And we could be looking at a return of Bray Wyatt. I word around campfire is that he is on his way back, but no dates have been confirmed, obviously, because that would ruin the surprise. Exactly. And I, I saw a comment online that I thought was just great. Uh, Triple H is doing the Lord's work. That's right. Uh, so With his this, golden shovel. And I don't know if this is a placebo effect or the shows are just better. Uh, I guess we can wait and see on that. One thing I was disappointed in, frankly, to um, point out in, in, in Raw, Theory didn't get his first name back. I was hoping that under the Triple H regime, he might become Austin Theory again, because on its own, Theory doesn't really work as a name. Maybe when he gets the belt, he'll graduate to law. I think we talked about so, uh, but come on, get let, let people have two first, two first names, two names, a first name and a last name. Come on. Well, yeah, and I, and hopefully that does come back. I, I never really understood eliminating a person's real name just because you want to keep, you don't want them to make more money after they leave you. I, I, it's not like uh, we don't. Yeah, it's I not like we don't know. I understand, I understand owning the intellectual property, but I mean, he owned the intellectual property of Austin Theory too. So why cut half the name off? That happened with Antonio Cesaro, uh, Alexander Rusev. I mean, a bunch of people. You could go up and down the list. Anyway, but uh, not to be all negative, Nancy, the encounter um, between Judgment Day and Rey Mysterio I enjoyed. And I'll actually touch on that a little bit more next week when, uh, not to give too much of a sneak preview, but we'll be taking a couple of wrestlers, one each, and saying, okay, this guy's not being used as well as he might be or she might be. How would we do it different from where they are right now? That's all I'll say about it at the moment. But I did enjoy um, a lot of what the Judgment Day is up to. That, that's very good. Uh, I believe um, you also want to talk about the promo between KO Andrew McIntyre, which I did enjoy uh, as well. The promo and the match, A plus, just wonderful. I, I I thought that the return of the prize fighter mm -hmm. or KO, that's his best gimmick. I don't. He's not a Stone Cold Steve Austin guy. He is a guy that you just love to hate, and that's where he thrives, and that's where I prefer to see him. I, mean, I think that what they've done, what what they are doing. 
in having Drew and KO, I think they're setting up more main event players uh, for the post Roman Reigns run, which uh, I believe, as you pointed out to me, he is the longest running heel champion. If you'll go back to our lessons from episodes past, the longest running bad guy champion in WWE history. This is true. This is something that came to me. Uh, actually, I saw this on social medias and I had to look that up. And when you think about it, yes, he's been champion for well over a year. Mm -hmm. Getting Bruno, close to two, frankly. Bruno, Backlund, Hogan, Bruno again, Roman, mm -hmm. basically. And all the other guys were baby faces whenever they were reigning champions. So congratulations to Mr. Roman Reigns. Acknowledge him, please. I shall acknowledge him. Thank I you. I shall acknowledge my travel chief. Also in Raw, we had the very first encounter, which is surprising of me, or to hear, rather, of AJ Styles versus Bobby Lashley. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was a, that was a really good match. I, I enjoyed that. And, and again, they seem to be sticking with our theory. I'm going to take, well, theory, our, uh, our game plan, not to step on Austin's name, of making Lashley just a really dominant champion, making that U.S. title look good. At this point in his career, AJ Styles is a legend. He, you know, a loss, even a clean loss, uh, as we had on Raw, doesn't hurt him. I mean, the man is a first ballot hall of famer, no doubt about it. So, yeah, I think that's a great win for Lashley. Uh, I say clean, there was some distraction, but here nor there beat him in the middle of the ring is the point. Great win for Lashley needs some more of them. And i like where they're headed with this title run. I also want to point out that Lashley spear has gotten is vastly improved from his first run. Oh, yeah. uh, he's really throwing himself into it. And whenever you're throwing yourself and you're the size of Bobby Lashley, that's very believable. And it looks extremely painful. Hey, don't no uh, stand on the tracks when the train's coming through. So I can uh, tell you, it's definitely a train. I can tell you that it is the, it is the Lashley streamliner. It's just <laughs> Lashley express. There you go. Uh, not to be confused with the Lex express. Ever. Of course, no, that was a bus. Come on, get your <laughs> modes of transport correct. Yeah, well, anyways, so yeah, I enjoyed it as well. I really felt like that should have been the main event. Not knocking what Theory and Dolph Ziggler did, uh, I just felt like Lashley and AJ Styles is a main event match anywhere in the country. That's that's true. Yeah, I know they are. They are both uh, marquee stars. Uh, you know. You're, you're very familiar with the fact that I love me some Dolph Ziggler. I, I just hate that it's his main event run seems to have kind of passed him by in a sense in terms of uh, championships and whatnot. I think he fell into the trap that other guys have fallen into where they can make like Cesaro, the former Cesaro, Claudio Castagnoli, where they are so good. They can make anybody look so good that they get used as glorified enhancement talent. Jobber to the stars is, is one of the terms you'll hear. They can put anybody over and they do so, so well, that that's what they kind of get pigeonholed into doing. Exactly. But Dolph can do it all. Love well, there's it. a, there's a, at some point you're, you're just so good that you're too good. And you're... right. 
But hey, he's made a nice living for did I, did I see he's been in the company 17 years? Can that be right? That sounds about right, actually. Good Lord Almighty. Yeah, I guess if you count the Spirit Squad, which I guess we have to. Uh yeah, 17 years. Good for him, man. His cash in was what, 2009? Nine or ten, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. That gosh doesn't seem like it. Yeah. For that matter, for that matter, Big E's been there for 12, 13 years. Well, I mean, Kofi even longer than that. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, Big E came in. Well, he was in NXT, obviously, but on the main roster, he first came in with Dolph and AJ Lee, right? That was his first big push. Yeah, he was. So, you're talking, so so Punk was obviously there at that time. So, we're talking, yeah, it had to be like 10 or 11, somewhere there. Yeah, he was actually with Dolph whenever he cashed it in. uh, Right. With AJ. I just, that. I was more of a passing fan at the time and didn't really follow that much, but I do remember that. The, uh, All right. Well, we're, we're old. That's the point. That's what I'm trying to get at here. <laughs> exactly. And I do want to briefly mention AEW. Our friend Carl from Savannah is a big AEW fan and got friend on of the show. Me for, friend of the show and got on to me at, over text over not mentioning AEW and WWE isn't all that great. Blah, 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 blah. Well, well, if it put the bet on Randy, then. WWE be great. Exactly. They haven't, they have not put the belt on Randy enough. It's only 14. It's <laughs> only, only 14, 14 runs, only 14. He needs uh 15 to 25. And at least, at least. And that that's, uh, that's on the low end. Well, and you know, here's the thing. AEW, I don't have, I just don't have that much time to pay close attention to a lot of wrestling. I don't dislike AEW. You and I both went to the live show. Uh, well, the, the, uh, live, uh, AEW dynamite. Here's what I'll say just in a nutshell about AEW. Their highs are much better. Their highs are higher than WWE's, at least currently in the past several years. Um, but their lows are so much worse. So, you know, WWE is that mid-level palatable all the time or has been during the time that they've been competitors. And AEW is peaks and valleys. So, you know, you've got the highs of your, you know, Daniel Bryan, excuse me, Brian Danielson, we can say that again now. CM Punk, um, MJF, God's gift to wrestling, modern wrestling. I love that guy because he's so terrible. Uh, but then you get things like Orange Cassidy and the Dark Order. It's just not good. Well, and I tend to agree with that. It becomes almost predictable. And the reason that mostly we haven't mentioned AEW in the past few episodes, it really wasn't a whole lot that we wanted to talk about. Yeah. They're, they didn't have their top stars. Correct. Due to injuries, which, you know, not their fault. What, I mean, I'm not going to talk about John Moxley that much. <sighs> I'm not, he's of the shield. Like he's, he's Ringo. Uh, you know, he, he, so it's it's been such a disappointment to me because he was my favorite in the Shield, but now every single one of his matches is, you know, jump into the ring, jump out of the ring, brawl around for a few minutes. You know, it just I don't know. He's just it, to use your word, predictable. It's just the same crap with him all of the time. So it no longer it doesn't mean anything anymore. You do the same thing over and over again, and just each iteration loses it's loses more and more meaning well yeah no, i mean more to our point in talking about AEW this week the 
main thing that I did watch on AEW was Moxley versus Jericho. I was digging Jericho's new theme. He's not coming out to Judas anymore. Uh, I guess this is more of a play up of who he used to be. Well, he uh, went as Corazon de Leon, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I was digging the new theme. It started out the first four or five minutes. It was a wrestling match. I enjoyed that. But then, you know, it turns into another GCW main event. Yeah. Uh, Yet another blade job by Mox. This dude is nine for nine in the last, you know, nine (laughs) for doing blade jobs. At some point, I don't want to see you bleed. If If you do it every time exactly it it loses it it's not it's gratuitous for the sake of gratuity it i don't like it i mean they ripped the earring out of his ear which was a decent visual but i i've seen it before well i remember when triple h ripped the nose ring out of batista's nose with a pair of pliers yeah uh i mean you know and which by the way if you're gonna rip if if people are now thinking to rip earrings out of ears why don't you do that every time Exactly. And I mean, every Moxley, time Moxley's not a bad wrestler. He's actually no. very talented. That's why I'm is, disappointed in him. He has pigeonholed himself into Abdullah the Butcher 2.0. Skinny it, it, Abdullah the Butcher. Well, yeah. 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 One third Abdullah the Butcher. It's just, yeah. I mean, if I, if I didn't think he was capable of more, I wouldn't be disappointed in him. And so and I, again, I know he is. And it, and it ends up being another schmoz finish with <gasps> 70 different run-ins. It, it's become just a collection of high spots with talking in between. The, thank God CM Punk came back because now it's watchable again. Right. To see CM Punk, to hear cult of personality hit, that was... Love it. That's it. You know, I, I will, I promise you, I will watch this week. If he is on it now, they just need to get MJF back. Hopefully yeah, that I'm interested to see how that plays out. Cause they haven't talked about it enough and there. And not only that, but Wardlow is a star for them and oh, they yeah. are, and they are just booking him in comedy matches. No, stop that crap. Put right. him in a match that is won't be shown on botchamania at yeah. and or, or you know saturday night live you put him in there with and, and don't get me wrong i'm a fan housing of dan housing i like dan housing but he has his place right and it's not with somebody that you're trying to push to the moon it's yeah it's, i agree i mean they need to he's a monster he needs to be treated as such of course i'm, I'm speaking not of dan housing obviously uh but Dan House, it feels disingenuous on some levels for me to cut dog cuss Orange Cassidy like I do and then like Danhausen, but at least Danhausen has a different joke. Orange Cassidy is the same joke all the time. It's been playing for three years now, and it's not funny. It wasn't funny the second time I saw it. It was it was cute the first time, but I don't want to get on a rant. I'm getting on a rant. I'm not gonna do it. Treat Wardlow with the respect he deserves, not only as a monster babyface, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but also as the second most important champion in your company. Exactly. It, it just over. it just boggles my mind that the same company that gave us CM Punk versus Darby Allen 
Right. It's the yeah. same company that gives us Orange Cassidy versus pretty much anybody he's ever wrestled. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's just, I don't All know. All right. So let's not mire ourselves in, in mediocrity. Let's, you know, we don't want to get wallowing in stupidity. What we want to do today is we want to talk smart. All right. It's time for talking smarts, the weekly segment where JD takes a wrestling term and explains it to our audience. Take it away, JD. All right. This is sort of an opaque kind of topic. I'll try and, and clarify it as much as I can. But the term for this week is kayfabe. And in, in its broadest sense, kayfabe, the etymology of which is debated, and we'll get to that. In its broadest sense, kayfabe means to protect the business from outsiders. Most commonly, what this practically means is you treat everything as real. Real fights, real hatred between the two, the competitors, uh, real violence in the matches. The matches are not predetermined. That you know, that's probably the primary way that kayfabe was upheld, uh, and it's another holdover from the carnival circuit uh, back when we talked about catch wrestling, which is catch as catch can wrestling. Uh, it's just referred to as catch wrestling, and it's sort of a free-for-all kind of style you grab any hold you can on somebody just to uh to, to win a match so kayfabe comes from that same sort of carnival existence and it has extended to or did at one time extend to pretending that the bad guys were really bad guys the heels were really heels and hated the baby faces so much so that in certain territories um mid bill watts is mid-south maybe most notable among them Baby faces and heels could not be seen together in public, otherwise they would be fined. Uh, there was a heel hotel at all the little spot show towns and a babyface hotel. They couldn't be seen in the same restaurant. They couldn't be seen staying at the same hotel. Jim Cornette tells a story about the time he went to an amusement park in North Carolina and one of his rivals showed up and he had to leave because he could not have the fans see him around them and them not get into a fight they it would had they would have had to have fought to keep up kayfabe so <laughs> excuse me so in this most top level sense it means to protect the inner workings of the business from outsiders so not letting the fans know anything real even the words we've been using heel baby face work shoot high spot finish all those sorts of things and these are all terms we'll get to eventually these are all the kind of things they did not want fans to even know. They didn't even want to know terms uh, for, for these elements of the business. The etymology, it's kind of been, I've heard that it's a kind of a butchered pig Latin of fake, kayfabe. I, I don't know if that really works out for, for legitimate purposes. Uh, I've heard that it is an expression called keep cavy, which is, which is a derivation of a Latin verb, cavio, which means to look out for, so that isn't caveat emptor, buyer beware, that sort of thing. That I, I can't prove anything, any of these things are true because there really was no agreed upon source for these things. They just came through the carnivals and stuck with wrestling all through the old days and on into modern times. Now, kayfabe was probably dealt its death blow when Vince McMahon testified in court that matches were predetermined and he developed the term sports entertainment basically to get out of being taxed by athletic associations in various states because for a long time wrestling was taxed as a sporting event 
but apparently a, a tax for like a play or a concert is less than for a sporting event, uh, at least in certain states. So this man testified that this wasn't real, which exposed an open secret that everyone already knew, but everyone sort of played along with. And that is kind of the traditional death of kayfabe. To this point, there, there are still some things that fans don't know or we think we know. So kayfabe's not 100% dead, but overall in the general scope of the business, kayfabe's sort of a, a um, past era. And that's this week's Talking Smart. So speaking of kayfabe yes. and keeping with our theme here, JD, picture, if you will, hmm. the year is 1991. It is. It is November 19th, 1991. Very good. It is Savannah, Georgia. Clash of the Champions 17 is about to go down. Now, a couple of things that our audience needs to keep in mind. WCW is coming off the Great American Bash of 1991. The Great American Bash of 1991 is generally considered to be the worst pay-per-view of all time. The promoter... For those who haven't seen uh, ECW's, uh, was the 2009 uh, December to December, I think it was? Also in Georgia. Yes, that was in Augusta, if memory serves. Yes. Now, the executive vice president of WCW at the time is a fellow by the name of Jim Hurd. Jim Hurd comes into WCW at that time. This was, I believe he started in 1990. He was a former station manager at a St. Louis TV station, KPLR TV. And he was a regional manager for, wait for it, Pizza Hut. Which in right. 1991 was still heavy into its book it phase. So I was a big fan. Well, back then, point. back then going to Pizza Hut was a whole experience. They brought the pizza to you out there on a skillet. Mm -hmm. You could play Galaga and the third, by the time the pizza gets out there to you, that the third or fourth song that you played on the jukebox was playing. That was heaven for us. Now Heard had received quite a bit of criticism over the years for his wonderful gimmicks, such as the notable tag team of the ding dongs. Big Josh. Communicated by use of bells. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, big Josh who was a lumberjack that entered the ring. He's okay. He entered the ring with dancing bears. More on that later. Among others. Which is criminal because Matt Bourne, who portrayed Big Josh, hell of a hand, as they say, a hell of a hand. And we'll, we'll focus on him more later because he's in this, in this show. And he also had a really big feud with Ric Flair, which really <clears throat> hurt the company. Now, Prior to this, Ric Flair, prior to the Great American Bash of 1991, had been given his walking papers suddenly. And Ric Flair, that same week, shows up on WWF programming with WCW's World Heavyweight Championship. And that requires some unpack. What we're referring to here is the big gold belt, the iconic, uh, originally nickel and gold-plated uh, championship belt. And Ryan, you might get might know more about the specifics of this than I did. Flair 
I think had a hand in having it made, uh, but he also had like a $25,000 deposit on the belt. Yes. Champions in the, in that time had to put down a $25,000 deposit on the belt, just in case they took off with it or it was damaged or they tried to turn around and sell it. Very few people, very few wrestlers at that point in time could probably afford that. Ric Flair was probably one of maybe three at that time that could do that. Uh, which yeah, I, I understood that um, Dusty was exempt from this. Uh, I've heard that. I don't know if that's true or not. But since he was figured in, as they say, uh, with the office during his championship runs uh, of the 80s, he did not have to put up the the uh, bond. Well, he didn't hang on to it long enough to. Right. He was transitional anyways, so. every time he had it. Which, yeah, more on that later. Now, actually, Savannah, Georgia showed up for this show. We really haven't shown up for anything since. Yeah, but not known as a wrestling hotbed. Not really. It's tough to draw in Savannah, but for some reason, we showed up in November 19th in 1991. The card drew a sellout of 6,922 fans with fans turned away at the door. The actual paid attendance at that point was between four and 5,000. Uh, the live gate numbers weren't reported, but we can probably safely assume that since clash 16 in Augusta with 2,800 in attendance drew roughly 28,000, then this one was probably closer to or above 50,000. The average show attendance, listen to this, JD. Mm. The average show attendance in 1991 was 1,220. Is that just for WCW or is that? That's kind of just, just, just for WCW. Okay. The business as a whole is down in 1991. Right. However, WCW, well, it gets worse. In 19, oh, much worse. In 1993, somehow. But to put that in perspective, the average show attendance in September of 1998, just seven years later, is 8,086. It's literally almost eight times higher. Now, let's put that again in some more context here. By September of 1998, you're riding high uh, if, if you're WCW on the wave of the NWO Goldberg is now a presence by 1998 because um, he won the belt in July of 98, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yes. Um, you've got DDP on the come up. You've got so, you know, the luchadors are well established, the cruiserweights. So this is about the high watermark of WCW. So we're we're contrasting here, not quite the low point 91, but it's getting there. And then the high point around 98. Well, I believe September of 1993, the average show was 655. Right. Like I said, the there was, we weren't quite rock bottom yet, but uh, we're on our way. On the way down. So literally this show does about four or five times more than what they usually do. I mean, Savannah showed up and showed out. And let's also point out what a clash of champions is. Um, at the time, there weren't pay-per-views every month, at least not at this point. Um, I think it, what had the WWE, WWF at the time gone, they had four by this point, right? Four yearly pay-per-views in WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. Yes. The Crockett group formerly uh, had had Starcade and the Great American Bash, as already mentioned, and I don't remember what else they had at this point. But point is, 
on off months, once a quarter, you would have these clash of champions, which were shown live on TBS in prime time. Yes. Uh, this is a, this is an era where there was about, well, for most households, there was about six channels on TV. Now with this one, this is cable. Uh, so this is actually the advent of cable. So more people are, are getting plugged into this. The, the, the TV rating on this was a 4.3. Now, for those of you that do not know, the show's TV rating refers to the number of households who tuned in to watch the content as a percentage of the entire population of TV equipped homes. So if you have a TV in your home, 4.3% of the population is watching this one, whether it's even on or not. Right. Exactly. So just a TV in your house. Yes. And it drew, also drew a 6.1 TV share, uh, which is similar to a TV show rating. However, these are the ones that have a TV in their home and it's turned on and they're watching something. So at the time of the broadcast, 6.1% of TVs that are turned on are watching this broadcast. Now, this is actually the highest rated wrestling show up from WCW of 1991. It comes to about 2.46 million viewers. So all in all, it's a pretty good money night. And WCW will not have a show that is rated higher until Hulk Hogan arrives in 1994. Yeah, and we kind of, you know, kind of scoffed at, at you know, what the show would be having not gone back and watched it last week, last week when we talked about it. But frankly, top and bottom, this is not a bad show. We'll get into yeah. that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I can see why it did so well. Yeah, and actually, I everybody that was affiliated with this show, an apology. I definitely had this confused with the one previous that was in Augusta. Uh, we also um, owe Vince McMahon an apology, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, so the show starts out, the crowd is just pumped. They're hanging from the rafters here, JD, as they say, and it starts out with Eric Bischoff and Missy Elliott, the very Are first show. Sure? Missy misdemeanor Elliott back on uh, Missy, Missy Hyatt, Missy Hyatt. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Missy Elliott. So she was, uh, that's what we're calling her from now on, but that's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm not going to cut that out. I'm just going to stick with it. Oh, you got it. Yeah. You don't have hair one on your balls. If you cut that out. No, no, no. But Missy, AKA Missy Elliott, <laughs> Missy Hyatt seems rather enthused to be interviewing two-time rookie of the year, Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Also for future known as buff Bagwell from Buffington, Georgia, which by the way, is a real place. I thought they made that up until I lived up in the uh, Northern. Yeah. It's North of Atlanta. A uh, little, little town called Buffington, an actual place. Buff the stuff Bagwell, who has uh, come under a bit of controversy as of late. Apparently he's uh, employed someone with one of, well, his former podcast host that uh, has scammed a few people out of money and is also a registered sex offender. Uh, well, I don't think Buff did a thorough background check. I, I'm I'm sure he didn't. I, Buff, 
We, so me and JD have actually met Buff. He's a super nice guy. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a bad word to say about Buff. But, you know, it, it's not like he's ran him through a GCIC or GBI or FBI background. No, no, I'm no, pretty no sure. Hey, do that. you know how to make a podcast? Okay, good enough. Yeah, that was probably exactly. the interview process. As a matter of fact, that is exactly what it was. He said uh, the, the podcast host that he had at the time said, hey, would you like to make a podcast? And Buff just emailed back, okay, what time? Yep, that that checks. That that all scans. And yeah. he's actually checked in with uh, DDP now, and he's yeah doing well and and good and sober. So we wish him well on that. And he is in the Hokey Pokey Institute and turning himself around as we speak. So yeah, that's good. Yeah, he has a there's a program that DDP has called Change or Die, and it's going to feature him and Butterbean. Uh, oh, okay. So apparently Butterbean didn't have much of a drug problem. His was uh, the food like sausage. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a stout fellow. Yeah. Is Eric Esch, AKA Butterbean. So moving on, we're at our first match right here. The former wildfire, Tommy rich is now known as Thomas rich and is with Alexandra York of the York foundation, AKA Terry Runnels, AKA Marlena. Mm-hmm. And squaring off against Big Josh, aka Matt Bourne, aka Evil Doink the Clown, in a lumberjack match. Get it, Big Josh, lumberjack, lumberjack match? match. Now let me let's explain the premise of a lumberjack match, and I want to go back and touch on the two participants. A lumberjack match is where you have the two actual combatants in the ring, but surrounding the ring is a, a, a cadre of other wrestlers, both heel and babyface. So if one contestant gets thrown out or exits the ring in some capacity it's their job to escort him back into the ring uh by the most violent means possible so just wail on him for a while then roll him back into the ring <clears throat> so you have generally the baby faces cl- clutch up on one side and heels on the other as we'll, we'll get into here but i want to point out um tommy wildfire rich uh now wrestling as thomas rich because the the york foundation i, I like the idea I think it's a very late 80s, early 90s gimmick. It seems like it ripped straight from the movie Wall Street. The the, the gist of it was that Alexandra York, uh, played by Terry Reynolds, uh, who was uh, started off as a makeup girl with uh, with Turner, as I understand it. Yes. Anyway, Alexandra York would use a computer program to determine how her wrestlers should approach their opponents. And they all took the more formal versions of their names as they went in as we mentioned tommy rich became thomas rich we had terry taylor as terrence taylor the taylor made man he's actually around ringside for this match and then richard morton ricky morton the one of the enduring baby faces of all time member of hall of fame tag team rock roll express is richard morton uh there are a handful of others but it's not a bad gimmick really it, it's a little silly mm-hmm. now but and seems dated when you bring out a laptop the size of a briefcase but it's um you know i i actually really like that gimmick uh tommy rich known for being a one-time i think six or seven day nwa world heavyweight champion but 10 years prior to this 1981 80 through like 83 tommy rich was as over as anybody in the territories i mean women loved him he was just the poster boy for NWA wrestling down here in the South for, for those, 
that span of years. So it's interesting to see him here a little bit past his prime, but uh, not a bad match. Yeah, it wasn't half bad, but it was half bad. Right. Uh, mostly due bad. to the mostly due to the just terrible gimmicks and the fact that the free birds are out there trying to get i mean it's a curtain jerker they're trying to get all the what? fans up and excited and i get that but it, it just i don't know maybe we could have done something other than a lumberjack match these two are good enough to have a good match on their own and uh, I, I just felt like at times the lumberjacks were distracting from what was going on it distracted me because i was confused and i told you i think i messaged you while i was watching it i'd like to watch some of the saturday night wcw shows that led up to this because the Freebirds were baby faces and the uh well formerly the wild ad southern boys the young pistols were heels i did not understand that at all because normally and when i think of those two groups i I certainly think of them vice versa yeah, by the way, Matt Bourne is jacked to the gills. Oh, my God. One. He looks like, yeah. I, my gosh. I was like, is this doink? Are you serious? This dude is. He looks, well, clearly he I mean, was big, not in. Big Josh. Big Josh is not a bad name for him because he is huge in this. Yeah, one. he is jacked here. And if he was in the same shape by the time he got to Vince, Vince would not have covered him up in a bodysuit. That much I can no, tell he, you. He would, not, he would not have been a clown. This. <clears throat> yeah. My God, look at him. As Vince and, uh, used to say, really put together yeah this again matt Bourne, what a performer very hell of a hand well he's never going to be uh, your top of the card guy barring his brief run as doink uh but he's certainly somebody that can help your roster at this point in his career and make anybody look good uh yeah i i really like i said i enjoyed this match more than i would have thought yeah he's he's a curtain jerker uh he can he can get yeah. you he can get he can get the show started get you, that's what you want when we say curtain jerker we mean the first match on a card in front of the live crowd which you want this was the cruiserweight spot a lot of times in later wcw where you want the fans to get on their feet fired up you want them energized and ready to go for the rest of your show and that that it accomplished that yeah yeah and they uh the ending of it Again, was uh, I? Well, I wasn't. I wasn't a huge fan of. It. They do that silly crisscross running the ropes thing. Terrence Taylor, for some reason, trips somebody. Tom, Thomas Rich, who is also in the York Foundation. Yeah, and and maybe it's just because I'm not aware if if they had a feud after this. I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, out of outside of but, context, because I want to point out the, the on the Peacock app, the Saturday nights don't start until like '93, I think. So you can't actually see what was going on. And so devoid of some context, this didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm really hoping that they get complete on those Saturday nights, but anyways, so he trips, uh, Thomas rich and Matt Bourne does a variation of the move that will be later called the whoopee cushion. Uh, only this one, he just ran the ropes and did it. And uh, when he gets to WWF, excuse me, I, said, I said, yeah, I said EF. It's uh, WWF at the time. Will be WWE later. Uh, the whoopee cushion is done from the th- the top rope mm-hmm. uh, and looks a lot more painful. Well, this uh, is just the way you did it in this kind of running whoopee cushion was just surprising. So, what, oh, okay, that's what we're doing. Okay. Yeah, basically, for those of you that don't know what a whoopee cushion is, he's he's just basically sitting on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so a running butt press. Of, yeah, is the best way I can describe it. 
Yeah. Well, anyways, I thought it was an okay match. Two stars. Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer gives it 1.75. Uh, yeah, I, di- I didn't hate it. I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Other, 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 the, other, than, the, other than the silly gimmicks. Yeah, but, I'll give that one a yeah. thumbs up. Uh, yeah, it, it, obviously it's a little bit dated. And one of the big criticisms of Jim Hurd, which I think is valid, is he wanted to try to do what Vince was doing in terms of cartoonish gimmicks and not the traditional NWA, hey, I'm just a badass wrestler you know, type persona. And you're not going to beat Vince in his own game. I think uh, Eric Bischoff uh, said it well. He said you can be less than, greater than, or different than. So I knew I couldn't be greater than. I didn't want to be less than, so I had to be different than. And that philosophy, I think, would have worked, would have done Jim Hurd and his tenure a world of good. But as I said, you know, thumbs up on this match for what it was. Well, yeah, like I said, didn't hate it. Good, good curtain jerker. And other than the silly gimmicks, not bad. So, JD, do you want to talk about the next one? Well, uh, yeah, we had Firebreaker Chip, a household name. I don't remember. There were, was a tag team called the Firebreakers. I don't remember it so much as I remember Firebreaker Chip just kind of being a job guy. And that, that's a guy that loses pretty much uh, all of his matches against beautiful Bobby Eaton, who, although he did wrestle quite a bit as a single in this era for, if I got into it, it'd be a very long story. But the point is he, he's working as a single in this era, although his best work and he's most known for being half of the Midnight Express uh, tag team, the arch rival of the aforementioned Rock and Roll Express. So, Chip is not good at wrestling. So, Bobby has his hands full here. He does his best. You know, Chip, he's athletic. I mean, he looks good. He, he looks like, you know, he he's fits the part, but and he's got the athleticism to flip off the post during, during part of the match and stick in the landing. It doesn't make a lot of difference in the match but bobby's do- doing his best to try and make up for the lack of timing here maybe they just don't have a lot of chemistry maybe chips is not that good but it's i'm going to give it a thumbs down it's not great for me you know bobby wins with a belly to back suplex because i don't know that firebreaker ship ever won a match so the right guy won and beautiful bobby uh gets a the rare singles win yeah, that spot where he backflips off the turnbuckle, it always scares me because I just see I just see somebody pulling a Sid and just knee exploding on that. Yeah, um, and if you're wondering and, what that means, Google or don't, uh Sid vicious leg break and don't have anything don't don't be drinking anything while you do that because you will spit it out or choke on it. It's yeah, awful. and don't do it on an empty stomach yeah it's not pretty but yeah bobby executes that belly back suplex for the win it kind of looked like bobby's shoulders were down to me i refuse to say that bobby Eaton has ever had a bad match but this is among one of the worst ones let's put it this way he certainly had better oh yeah absolutely and firecracker chip really brought this one down so it's i wouldn't (laughs) put that on i wouldn't put that on bobby yeah i think we should call him firecracker chip from now on I, i do like that uh, but the belly in the back is a very difficult move to pull off without your shoulders looking like they're on the mat. It's a weird thing to me. That's why, God bless him, I love him dearly. But uh, Mr. Perfect with the perfect plex, 
it's a horrible pin because by necessity you're holding the other person's shoulder up off the mat so anyway not the point but yeah, yeah thumbs down for me not not the best thing on the card tonight well bobby is supposed to be the baby face in this one he's a much better heel uh just personal opinion on that i gave it a one star Meltzer gave it a 1.25 um i think he was being generous and it was kind of i wouldn't say i wouldn't say that that made me sad but i was i expected better but well you know bobby is capable of a lot better but you know you're only as good as your dance partner yeah firecracker chip can't do it uh <laughs> that's his name yeah now that's it it is out. missy the, elliott the fire. and firecracker chip we got a we got a makings <laughs> of a hell of a stable coming up here oh yeah anyways so the uh the next portion of this is the uh infamous sting shivani promo it seems that the sound system in the Savannah Civic Center is just as good today as it was back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guarantee you it's the same sound system. It's the same oh. sound system. It, <laughs> the feedback was terrible on it. Uh, apparently, Sting has been receiving a number of mysterious gifts over the past few weeks, and we're trying to figure out who this is, and this is supposed to be the big reveal. If, if so, Sharp-eyed fans might notice that that is the exact same storyline as he had the year prior with the black scorpion and if you notice that you're correct they're doing the exact same damn thing sorry go ahead yeah so out comes a bunch of oily dudes uh carrying what appears to be a carriage that would uh make i think the proper term is a sedan chair is an enclosed sedan chair if i understand that correctly Uh, it looks like it goes on top of an elephant and aladdin hops out but Anyway, so Medusa emerges from this carriage looking only as she can. She is the queen of denial on this one. That's what she looks like. Actually, it looks more like a I Dreamed a Genie stunt double. Uh, Ain't nothing wrong then, with that. Uh, she gets uh, Sting's attention, and Sting apparently just takes it hook, line, and sinker, and out comes Lex Luger. And appears and attacks Sting from behind, targets the knee. And for some reason, uh, anyway, Sting is the U.S. champion. Luger is the world champion. I guess Luger sees Sting as a threat. Uh, I guess that's a pretty fair fair thing to think about back then. Because Sting, this is sort of, this is really sort of prime surfer Sting. Oh, yes, very much so. The previous year, he had the USA makeup and, and jacket gimmick goes oh, yeah. vintage we, we just gotta we just gotta say you know bischoff is digging that tan in <laughs> this year but uh so anyway sting's friends come out to help there's about five or six of them but none of them go after luger Would firecracker you? chip firecracker chip came back out again uh who's uh he was a heel in the I last thought, match he was a heel in the last match, but apparently Firecracker Chip is no longer. A he heel found Jesus in the back, real quick. After uh... oh, it's just, it's just a whole bunch of jobbers that come out. And anyway, Sting needs better friends. Well, Sting needs better judgment, is what he needs. He he's been termed the most gullible man in professional wrestling, and with good cause. How many times did Ric Flair and the Horseman in years prior? turn on sting and he should know not to trust his friends at this point um but yeah it, it, the psychology to me of it is weird that the higher tier champion for no reason seemingly targets the lower tier champion that doesn't make a whole lot of sense why poke the bear there um 
I will point out that the the, the WCW is two years ahead of WWF in having the you know Roman esque uh, sedan chair and, and you know carry out by the oily bodybuilder guys that we would see at WrestleMania. Uh, nine that held at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. So, as we'll talk about in the next match, WCW is actually a little bit ahead of the curve on WWF on some of this stuff. Well, I thought that you might want to work in your apology to Vince on this one. Oh yes, uh, that that let me please, uh, Vince. I know you're listening. Apparently, <laughs> something I've held against you for a long time: the use of the term medical facility instead of hospital. I've always thought it was a Vinceism. Apparently not, because Jr. Bischoff, Shivani, everyone won't stop calling the hospital a medical facility. Makes no sense to me. No one talks like that in real life. It's awkward and a tongue twister in a way. And Vince, I'm sorry. Interesting. Well, yeah. Bischoff does say hospital a couple of times later in the show, but for the most part, it's medical, medical facility. Yeah, what what uh, hospital do you reckon that they took him to? Well, if, Candler, right? Well, yeah, if they're at the Civic Center, Candler, it's a 50-50 shot, actually. I mean, I think it's probably easier to get to Candler because of the Truman, but Memorial might be closer as the, as the crow flies. Yeah, so I had an injury one time in downtown Savannah that required me to go to a medical facility. Mm. Uh, it was a separated AC joint. And I closed your long car. Ago. No, no, no. Okay. So I was uh, actually sitting in my car uh, the next morning. And then I, this is how long ago it was, I had to press the OnStar button mm. and get directions to the closest medical facility. And they sent me to Candler. So OnStar will tell you that <laughs> Candler is probably going to be your best bet. So I was only a few blocks down from the civic center well like i said it's probably easier to get there from the civic center yeah well so anyways so in the meantime that this next match is going on which is tom zinc versus the diamond stud Uh, z-man tom zinc thank you very much put some respect on his name well let me finish but the uh diamond stud is aka razor ramon aka scott hall uh rest in peace kind of weird seeing him now well, zinc's um, dead too so yeah yeah well he's been dead for a while yeah but anyway so the whole rush sting to the medical facility is going on split screen and we don't know what's going on really with the match too much uh, other than stud performs uh, what will later be called the razor's edge mm-hmm. after the bell uh, this is after zinc rolls him up in a crucifix it was really scary because he got dropped on his neck uh, and it's anyways after the bell that drops him in the razor's edge get some old school heat on him not much to go on this one not a whole lot of meat on the bone uh, i gave it a star and a half uh, Meltzer gave it 1.5 as well yeah I, again not much to say here i'm gonna give it a thumbs down it just was kind of a throwaway match i will applaud wcw though for showing that bischoff did in fact get in the ambulance with sting in route to the medical facility so that'll come into play later it's interesting to me watching this back because i guess just being eight years old it didn't really occur to me at the time how much razor ramon was kind of fully formed here in in the form of the diamond study had the same finisher had much the same look not to say he was a completely finished product by the time, you know, before he got to WWF, but he was 
three quarters of the way there. So that, that's good. Good to see. But again, this is more or less a throwaway match with guys who did not mean anything at this time. Yeah, that's, that's it. Thumbs down. So our next match is the rap master PN news. Yo, baby, yo, I baby, have, yo. Who I have no recollection of and stunning Steve Austin with lady blossom, Steve Austin with hair. That's, that's always, yeah. Yeah. No, I remember that you just heard what I remember of PN news. It's kind of, I guess at the time, the fat boys were still a thing. Sort of a were they kind of a comedy rap group as I recall they they had the movie Disorderlies um, yeah, as memory serves so that. yeah I, maybe he's supposed to be a takeoff on, on that but just not a lot to him well we take that back there's a lot to PN news uh, at least on the the scale but another half throwaway match Steve Austin is not the finished product he would become um, but he clearly has his fundamentals down it's not terrible for what it is that's pretty much it well he he, he well, comes through as a star here well i found out through research that he's actually the first cousin of mike halleck who infamously played the character mantar in wwf he being uh, pn news yes ah. pn news <laughs> not, not steve I, yeah I, I would have been very befuddled by that yeah so Lady Blossom is actually uh, with Stunning Steve Austin. Lady Blossom is actually the one who gave the inspiration for the Stone Cold Steve Austin name. Right. Uh, were they Steve married at this Bl time? I believe so. Yeah, I know they were married at some point, but I don't, I'm not sure if it was now. Yeah, uh, Steve looks like a million bucks in this one. I mean, he's he he's in really good shape, and he really sort of saved the match. Uh, Blossom saves Steve from being pinned by putting his foot on the rope. PN runs, uh, uh, leaves the ring to apparently tease that he's going to hit a woman. There's a classic and, baby face. Exactly. And Steve, at this point in his career, is still doing more high-risk stuff, uh, jumping off the top rope. And he does so uh, by jumping over the ropes and onto PN and gives him a nice good push into the rail. And... Uh, Steve ends up getting the win with a dirty pin missionary style with his foot on the rope and it was almost botched. Uh, it kind of just looks like he could only get one of his foot up there and just, he sort of posed with the other one, kept it level, a pretty decent match. All, all told, I give it two and a half, uh, two and a quarter from Meltzer. Probably better than it had any business being. I'll, I'll give it a, for what it is. I'll give it a thumbs up. Exactly. So JD, you want to take the next one? Well, since uh, one of my Mount Rushmore picks was on, in this next one, uh, I'll certainly do that. Obviously, I'm talking about Van Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> no, Van Hammer, probably on the Mount Rushmore of guys who stuck around the wrestling business longer than they had any business doing. <sighs> is this Katniss Jack versus Van Hammer? Katniss Jack is in his full glory here of you know going outside the ring and really being sort of a pioneer of brawling on the outside van hammer gets introduced with since i didn't remember it i thought they were about to play bad street i thought, I thought that was what was coming uh, but instead it's an 80 riff 80s riffic bear in mind we're in 91 here it's a, the probably the best entrance music video that 1986 could provide with van ha hammer holding a guitar while other people play instruments around him. And he comes out, again, not playing the guitar, as, uh, what was the guy's name? 
Mad Max. No, not Mad Max. What's the guy's name that would play the... Mount, um, Mountain Man? Mount, Mountain Man Max. Yeah, something well, Max. he 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 played he played Mad Max and Max Payne. Man. Max Payne. Ma Max Payne. Max Payne. Max Payne. Used to come to the ring actually playing a guitar. Van Hammer joins the long line of people who come to the ring holding a guitar, a la Honky Tonk Man or uh, Jeff Jarrett. Neither of whom have ever claimed to be able to play. But the difference with Van Hammer is he has the flying V. Famously featured in, I think Van Halen was was famous for, uh, I think Eddie Van Halen had the Flying V guitar in the 80s. So maybe that's where they're getting Van Hammer from. Just a project that never really took off. More of a project that exploded on the runway was Van Hammer. He wasn't good at wrestling when he came in. He never got any better. It didn't quite pan out the way we wanted it to. Cactus Jack makes up for it as best he can here. Overall, I'm going to give it a thumbs down. Uh, Cactus Jack with his famous, the the squeal like a pig from uh, Deliverance. Thank you. Uh, try, you know, a audible over the camera, uh, you know, it, the camera microphone's picking it up. Disturbing to say the least. And then uh, the finish here was, this is the finish where Cactus Jack hit him in the, hit uh, hammer in the throat with the guitar, right? Like the V of yes. the guitar to the throat. Yeah. yeah. So, um, which, why would you not do that if you're Cactus Jack, right? So that part of it makes perfect sense to me. Overall, though, this was just a stinker. So I'm going to give it a thumbs down. Your comments, sir. Yeah, I'm going to depart with you a little bit on this. And this is very surprising for me because Van Hammer is the self-proclaimed next Ultimate Warrior. And much like Ultimate Warrior, everybody backstage hated him. So I thought the music video that he came out to, I thought it was pretty cool. The, uh, you know, obviously Cactus Jack's one of the, one of the greatest of all time. I never understood the piggy squeal. I guess, I guess it's just more of a shock value than anything. Maybe, maybe if it, if it got me to ask about it, then it worked. Well, it's crazy. Uh, that's, I think that's the point. It's crazy. Exactly. And, you know, he hit that patented elbow to the floor from the turnbuckle. Uh, and as JR put it, if championships could be won outside the ring, Cactus Jack would be the undefeated champion of the world. Uh, so, and, and Hammer, if you listen to the crowd, man, he's over big time there. And it hasn't been around long yet, I don't think, at that point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this might be Van Hammer's best match. And uh, I do want to point out one thing about Cactus Jack. Uh, apparently, Van Hammer's move was that top rope knee. Um, and after Van Hammer hits him with the knee, he gets a two count and then Cactus Jack just pops right, right up. Um, uh, it, it, it's, he's sort of no sold that I, I very seldom do I ever crit, uh, critique Mick Foley like that, but I felt like he could have given it a few seconds. Uh, well, if there's anyone's but, finisher, you're going to no sell. It's probably going to be Mr. Van Hammer. Well. I'm, I'm sure he's really torn up about it sitting in his jail cell right now, but so a surprisingly decent match here. I fully can make anyone look good. And I gave it two stars. Uh, Meltzer gave it two and a quarter. I, um, yeah, like I said, I was pleasant. I, I say pleasantly, I was surprised. And, um, so anyways, the next, uh, the next program on this is a update on sting. He's at the medical facility. This is when we note that it is no longer a Vinceism, right? Uh, this and Jr. and Tony are doing a pretty good job calling this one tonight. 
yeah this is uh this is prime this is prime jr and tony to me yeah the the only issue i take with with tony and jr is that's two play-by-play guys you know i I do miss the voice of a jesse ventura uh you know or somebody that can do color commentary from the wrestler perspective i think jesse had just left yeah jesse would would have been gone by this point i think yeah i don't know what time he is but but my point is you had, you know, on the other channel, you had Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon. Gorilla, obviously, with the pro wrestling background, as Bobby had as well as both a wrestler and a manager. So you have a play-by-play in in Gorilla as the clear baby face and Heenan as the heel color commentator. I just feel like that that's missing here. So I think take one or the other, either JR or JR or Tony. But uh, and then also <laughs> the old it seems like a cliche, but I don't know. It kind of seems hokey now of picking up the landline phone and trying to call to the hospital to get a report. <laughs> uh, you know, they thought to put Bischoff in the ambulance, but they didn't have room for the camera, which I guess really makes sense, but it just seems odd looking back at it from 30 years down the road. Yeah. It's a, uh, you know, I always wondered, do you remember when uh, Larry Marshall would call from on the road? uh to w the nitro parties yeah well lee marshall he, 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 lee marshall yeah. lee marshall not larry marshall well, he lee marshall. our stable with missy and uh well he's great uh but yes. yeah lee marshall lee marshall is also was also the voice of tony the tiger the more modern the era not not the original voice of tony the tiger which was thurl ravenscroft also from the uh the singing voice of uh how the grinch stole christmas Oh, okay. Well, look at the big brain on Jay. Yeah, look at me. Well, so I always wondered if he was actually on location. The answer is no. Was just, no, he was not. I, I don't. I don't know. I kind. I kind of want to believe he was, but still real to you, damn it. It 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 will always will be. So, at the next one, at the next program that we have here, uh, it's been teased that uh, Barry Wyndham is uh home reveal georgia's own barry windham has a hand injury and it was done at the hands of arn anderson and larry zabisco enforcers and he will not be able to be dustin rhodes partner tonight so dustin rhodes partner will be a mystery partner the plot thickens Mm -hmm. so arn and larry come out dustin rhodes come out and then Gorn comes out. Gorn from Star Trek comes out. Yeah, it's uh, um, I don't want to say a masked wrestler. It's a dragon head, which hint hint, but also like a black shroud robe cloak kind of a thing to obscure the body. The the only problem is, and here's where you can really kind of tell the difference between production values in WWF at the time and WCW, is it goes too slowly. Um, they don't change the lighting at all. It's still the lights brought all the way up and he comes out to the same canned sort of upbeat West country, Western music that the Dustin had come out to, which doesn't fit at all for this slow moving, mysterious monster headed person. And so kind of seems like he should have came out to the same music that 
Medusa came out too on with the oily dudes. I think he just should have come out as himself without those. Like that would have gotten the big pop, but like the crowd dies during this. Now they do get the big pop back when it reveals Ricky Steamboat, but this went way Uh, slower than it needed to for, for my taste. Yeah. Like I said, it kind of looks like Gorn from star Trek. Uh, anyways, he takes it off and reveals it's Ricky steamboat, not the dragon steamboat, Ricky steamboat. Well, the dragon head implied the uh, dragon part there, I think. Well, this is, so this is a interesting backstage development regarding Ricky steamboat that took place at the show. Apparently the week before the show, WCW contacted WWF and told them of their intention to use steamboat at the clash and requested that if WWF believed they had any legal claim to Steamboat to please contact them by Friday, which would have been the Friday prior to the show. Uh, Steamboat had signed a two-year contract with Titan Sports, which at the time uh, was the parent company of WWF, Mm -hmm. and it was set to expire in January of 1993. Although one could certainly make a case that being fired should nullify the contract. One would think. Uh, Steamboat, you would think. Uh, Steamboat's attorneys claimed that Titan had violated the contract in two places and that it should be voided. So anyway, less than an hour before showtime, Titan sent a fax to WCW offices in Atlanta when everyone of importance was already in Savannah for the clash, claiming that they had legal rights to Steamboat. The word did reach the building before the show, and Kip Fry, who was the counsel for WCW at the time, met with Jim Hurd and Jim Crockett, and the decision was made to use Steamboat, who at the time they was believed that he had a six-month deal. Anyways, so a lot of uh, a lot of uh, goings on in the legal side of that. The but this is actually the first time. Obviously, Ricky had been in WWF prior to this. This is the first time he's been in WCW since 1989. And that was when he had that epic trilogy with Ric Flair. It it, it never, it always sort of, it always sort of bothered me that Ricky Steamboat's real name is Richard Blood. Yes. Why not Ricky Blood? Or Dick Blood. That's scary, right? You don't want to. You want to put put yeah. a chill in the hearts of your male audience. You you call here comes Dick Blood. Yeah, and everybody reaches for their crotch. And anyways, but uh, so he takes it off. There's a big pop, and buddy, we're about to see some magic right here. Oh, it's an excellent so, match. This is actually the, this is interesting. This is actually the first time that Ricky Steamboat and Arn Anderson have squared off against each other. You would think, and I guess because we associate Ric Flair so much with the Four Horsemen and with Arn, that they would have been around at that time. But the truth is, they weren't. You know, they Arn and Tully uh, were in WWF at the time when Ricky was in WCW, and vice versa. So, well, and actually, they had been in the promotions at the same time, but they weren't booked uh, with against each well, other it makes, at that time because it was it makes sense as, as ricky spent most of his crockett run in the mid to late 80s as a singles competitor and, and Arn obviously a tag team specialist so it does seem odd but you can kind of see why it didn't happen exactly it, it it just you would say you would assume that they would have at least had a dark match 
in the 80s, but apparently they did not. So, and this is all according to Meltzer, so he could be entirely wrong on this. Yeah, he does. But I look, I looked this up and I tried to find an, a prior match. I could not find one. So, but this is match of the night easily. Uh, the you're really witnessing three Hall of Famers and one future Hall of Famer tell a story. Everything that they did mattered. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arn, Arn and Larry are outraged that they have to wrestle Steamboat as that is not what they signed up for. They're, so they're that really out. harping on that. They're really harping on that. And the crowd is just going nuts for Ricky. Uh, Steamboat has this crowd fired up. They exit the ring shortly after it starts, and you can see that the crowd is on its feet. I mean, literally on its feet for Ricky. And Arn is just screaming to everyone that Steamboat is just a man. He's just a man. Uh, really enjoyed Steamboat and Larry. Uh, steamboat and dustin worked the shoulder of larry mm-hmm. again they're telling a story and it mattered uh it's just old school storytelling i mean dustin rhodes gets compared to steve avery of the atlanta braves by jr yeah. and uh I, I made a note here said tell me this is an early 90s match without telling me this is an early 90s match uh <laughs> this is the worst I mean, of first season for for your atlanta braves as a memory service yeah very, very. So that's much what's so. going on in Atlanta in WCW country in this time. And Steamboat ends up get, getting the win with the patented flying crossbody. Uh, yep. Larry's Abisco has was one half second too slow to break up the pin, which Dustin Rhodes jetted across the side of the ring to stop him. It was just an absolute workout, a uh, work of art. If you're not doing anything else this week, you got to watch this one. It is on YouTube. It is on Peacock. Watch it. It this Meltzer says that this is a match that they should show at wrestling schools, and I 100% agree. It's it's just everything that they did mattered. It told a story. It had everything that you really want. The only thing that I'm taking away from it is for the ridiculous looking mask. <laughs> Other than that, that's Jim heard for you, but I, I gave it, man, I'm giving it four and a half stars. Meltzer gave it four and a quarter. Nice work, gentlemen. And I do want to give a shout out to Nick Patrick with the sweet Kenny powers haircut. And All you the know, there's a the lot of, there is an awful lot of sweet mullets on this one. Uh, yeah. it, you really, we really underestimated 1991's mullet game. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'll state in my place, 91, 92. That was the era of the JD mullet as well. JD rocking the mullet back in the day. So I know, I know a little bit what that's about. I can, I can honestly say I never had a mullet. Well, you, you missed out, my friend. Actually, it's supposed to be I coming a, back. Had a, I had a rat tail. Oh, uh, well, okay. See, I, I went the whole, the full Monty. I, I, I committed. Uh, yeah, no, I'll echo a lot, a lot of what you said here. This is an excellent match. Uh, the nuances are all there. I would encourage you as a, a viewer of this match, watch Arn Anderson, watch his placement, watch where he is at all times. He's ready for what's coming next. He's in the right position to feed, whether it's Dustin's comeback or, you know, getting, uh, you know, isolating the tag opponent into his corner Arn is exactly where he's supposed to be. Larry Zabisco, I give him a hard time sometimes because he, to me, he is 
your dad's golf buddy back when you're in high school and he's in his fifties that he is your dad's golf buddy that never married is always chasing the drink cart girl around. And yeah, just a, a good time, but just kind of that, that guy, that's who he strikes me as I uh, do love Larry though. Obviously we, we've discussed uh, what I feel about Ricky, the dragon steamboat on a prior episode as the consummate baby face uh, in professional wrestling. And you can't ask for a better worker. Dustin Rhodes, is very young in his career here. He's probably been in three, four years at this point at most. When does his run in WWF with, with DiBiase? Was that 88? Anyway, not the point. But he, he's a young man here as well. But he has only gotten better, frankly, with age. And he, he's still doing it today. And looks good doing it. So um, an excellent match to your point about uh, the Steve Avery reference. Yes, yeah, the worst of first season uh, for the Atlanta Braves. And uh, just to give you a little bit more context of what we're looking at here in 1991, this week in 1991, it's November 19th. That's when Clash of the Champions 17, remember that number, Clash of Champions 17 came on if you want to go look it up on Peacock. Uh, number one song in the land at this at, on this week was Cream by Prince and the New Power Generation. Uh, my broadcast partner, Ryan, does, does an excellent uh, version of Cream. Uh, Cream. There you go. There it is. Get on top. There it is. Cream. Watch out. Don't you stop. Okay, we're, we're, we're about, Cream. I don't think we have to pay right now. I think if you go any further, we have to pay. Uh, number one movie, The Addams Family, which is interesting considering that now Tim Burton is making a, uh, a, a an Addams Family revival series on Netflix. So, you know, time truly is a flat circle. So, thumbs up, way up for this match. This is everything you want in storytelling and nuance in a tag team match. Certainly give it a, a look if you have the chance. Absolutely. That's just what a, what a, what a match. What a match. And it, I mean, even the storytelling afterwards, you know, Arn and Larry say that they should still be champions because they did not sign the dotted line to wrestle Steamboat. I feel like they signed to wrestle uh, Barry Wyndham. Yeah, I feel like yeah. they they've waived that defense when they came out for the match. Uh, they didn't say anything about it till they found out who the mystery partner was going to be. I think it had it been Dong of the Ding Dongs, maybe they wouldn't have objected so much. But uh, I'm going to say they've waived that defense by participating in the match. I agree. So next segment on this is a uh, nice little promo by Polly Dangerously, the svelte Paul Heyman, uh, who's a hair club for men spokesperson at this point in his life. Uh, states that if Singh doesn't show up for the match with Rick Rude, then he will be stripped of the title per the terms of the contract. And wonder who could have been behind it. this Lex Luger scenario. But yeah, no, another Ooh. great promo by one of the masters, Paul Paul Heyman, Paul E. Dangerously. Looks great here. Got the Zach Morris cell phone ready to roll. Uh, got hair, which is odd to see. Got a double-digit waistline, which is also odd to see at this point. Um, <laughs> you know, Paul E. Dangerously a real master on the microphone. Uh, we go from there to back to Eric Bischoff on location at the medical facility um, in, in great, the greater Savannah Metro area. And Bischoff relays this legal pontification by, by Paul Heyman that he will be stripped of his title. Should he not make, make the, make it to the match by bell time. Um, so you hear some scuffling in the back. 
there may or may not be an accusation uh, that Sting is stealing the ambulance, which I believe is a felony. Uh, he doesn't even give Bischoff a ride back, so Bischoff presumably walked back from the medical facility to the Civic Center. Yeah, that's the last I think we hear from Eze at that point. But uh, now the, it's a race against the clock as Sting tries to beat downtown Savannah traffic back to the Civic Center. Yes. Apparently Sting commits Grand Theft Auto mm. by stealing an ambulance, and apparently that's okay if you're the babyface. Sure. And you're leaving from the medical facility. It's for a good cause. So anyways, since I know Johnny B. Bad is your number one guy, why don't you take the next one? Johnny B. Bad with the unfortunately nicknamed Peanut Head, uh, Teddy Long, versus Flying Brian Pillman for the light heavyweight championship of the world. The nice thing is we, we've got on the horizon, the, Pil the legendary Pillman-Liger matchups are coming. Uh, again, if you've not seen them, go watch them. When Liger does get to WCW, he and Pillman put on a light heavyweight cruiserweight, whatever you want to call it, high flying clinic. So yeah, that, that that's coming in in the in the not too distant future. Johnny Bad, world's largest light heavyweight. Do I do I have that right? Because just that dude's two fifty. Well, apparently he cut to two thirty six. Yeah, according to the commentary. And that's that's the light heavyweight limit. Sure. Apparently it's not apparently it's not really 205. Well, it's been 205, it's been 225, it's been 220. Apparently here it's 235, but they'll give you a, as in an actual fight, I think the UFC also gives you a pound over the limit. So technically 236 would be the cutoff, which I do appreciate that they explain that on commentary. I, I think that that's a big failing uh now that we're kind of esoteric things like that don't really get explained on commentary. So, anyway, it, it, later on, in, when we talked about WCW 1988, the um, cruiserweight limit will be 225, but for now, it's 10 pounds more than that. We've got Johnny B. Bad doing his very, very best Little Richard impersonation, which that was, I guess, would you describe Johnny B. Bad's gimmick as half Little Richard, half what uh, Ric Flair would term a dick dancer? Uh, that's basically what we're talking about here with Johnny B. Bad is he comes to the ring with his bad blaster. I don't think he actually used it this time, but normally he's got a little cane kind of apparatus that shoots confetti out one end, the bad blaster or the love gun. If you're Rick James, I mean, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he comes out of the ring here. I'm not going to go so far as to call it blackface as much as it is a very deep tan. Uh, Mark Mayer, of course, being a, Caucasian gentleman, but clearly going for a little Richard type vibe. And if you if you think Bischoff loves Sting's tan, my goodness, he's got to be in hog heaven over Johnny B. Bad's tan here. It is bizarre. It's to the point of bizarre. Anyway, so um, you know, it's Johnny B. Bad's in good shape. Brian Bryan obviously is a premier uh, high flying wrestler. Uh, excellent athleticism by both guys. Uh, you know, say what you want to about Johnny B. Bad's gimmick. He was a gold gloves boxer. He will knock your ass out. I mean, he's he's the real deal. As marvelous Mark Marrow, as he'd later be known. Um, Bad gets in a good drop kick from Pillman uh, all the way from the top rope. Then Peanut Head, as JR will not stop calling him, Teddy Long, uh, distracts the ref, and it's kind of a 
bizarre finish. I'll let you kind of get into that if you want to. Then uh, it looks like uh, Teddy is summarily relieved of his duties as manager by Johnny B. Bad when Johnny B. Bad knocks him out. So, you know, storytelling's not really necessarily here. It's an interesting exposition for what it is. It's kind of filling time till we can explain the Sting story better. But I'm going to give it a thumbs up overall. Yeah, I uh, I have no idea. Teddy Long is supposed to be Johnny B. Bad's manager. For some reason, he gets up on the ring apron and distracts the ref right when Johnny B. Bad has it in hand and is covering Pillman. Um, I don't know. I don't really understand that. It you know what Teddy Long has never really managed what I would call a successful wrestler. Well, he was he with always, Doom for a while, wasn't he? Yeah, he never really managed what I would call a successful wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> the it, it, like if you if you're taking Teddy Long on as your manager, you're getting cut in a year. <laughs> yeah. So they, I just uh, and and a part of me wonders if the tag team match went a bit long, and they had to cut from this. Worth it. I, I certainly, you know, I don't, I'm not watching that tag match and saying, you know what? I want more Johnny be bad, but I gave it a star and three quarters. It was all right. Felt rushed. Uh, Meltzer gave it two and a half. He, he liked it. I, I, yeah, I, I, not for me, man. It's, it's a no from me dog. Mm -hmm. So, but anyways, next is, uh, our semi main. I would guess I would call it the co-main event of the evening. Uh, this is ravishing Rick rude versus sting. Uh, rude comes to the ring looking only as Rick rude can, uh, even though it's past a little bit past Rick rude's prime, he's still in phenomenal shape. Uh, he gets some, or Polly gets some, uh, old school heat on the mic and what Paulie does is that he continues to talk. And if he would just shut up, they would do the 10 count and sting would win. We'll lose, excuse me, root, 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 sting would lose and root would win. And sting makes it into the arena, but he like gets into the arena at eight. And mm -hmm. as soon as the referee sees him, he just stops counting. So I guess that. And hobbling, we should count. point out hobbling. On and the, hobbling. Yeah. So selling the knee, uh, which. <clears throat> should tell you that he's about to lose now was it uh, in this match or was it when luger was attacking him that it was either paul e or lex that accidentally hit the wrong knee here and you can see sting like pointing like point no left knee left knee <laughs> I, I missed that okay yeah it was, it one, it was either here or earlier when lex actually attacked him okay yeah i guess i missed that so anyways he's going into the uh, ramp right there Rude meets him halfway and takes a military press onto that rampway. Uh, Rude is not too much longer for this promotion. Uh, he, he gets seriously hurt uh, in the next uh, few years and takes a cash in his insurance policy and doesn't uh, wrestle again. And he lives to regret that. But fortunately, he doesn't live that much longer after that. Anyways, uh, Rude then goes for the knee. Uh, after Polly hits him with that Zach Morris phone, 
uh it <laughs> that hit was loud so i'm wondering if uh if he really laid that thing in uh, that had to hurt like hell uh, this is back when these cell phones are a solid 20 pounds. The brick, for real. Exactly. And uh, and it's just uh, after Rude goes for the knee on that, it's just too much for Sting to overcome. Crowd was so into Sting that it went silent when he lost. Noticeable hush fell over the crowd. And Rude wins. And now Rude has the actual U.S. title to go with those airbrushed tights that had the U.S. title on them. I give it three and a quarter stars because I felt like the storytelling leading up to the match was pretty solid and, uh, it, it was a very quick match, but, uh, I, I feel like, I feel like the match lasts longer because it literally takes up most of the show. So, yeah, um, it's the main storyline. We get woven through the whole show. But yeah, that's uh that's my take on that one. What do you think, JD? Well, you know, um, I thought it was a good match. I mean, you're going to have a good match here. I think Rude is uh, one of the classic uh, old school heels. You know, prior to this in WWF against the Warrior, he's just all you can ask for in a, in a kind of a working heel. He's, he makes guys look a lot better than they are a lot of times. Not that Sting necessarily needed the help, but uh, he's certainly a great dance partner for Sting. I, you know, it's funny. I read in your notes here the same, exact same thing that I thought. I was like, Paulie, shut up. If you just shut up, then it would be, you know, a, a fait accompli here. Though I guess that wouldn't have helped because Rude would not have won the title had it been a, a count out. Oh, no, we had the stipulation earlier because he forfeit. Yeah, forfeit style. Sorry. So that was actually taken care of. That's weird that they actually closed a loophole in professional wrestling. But yeah, I was not remembering exactly what happened here. I was actually a little bit surprised to see Rude win this one after the, the classic babyface buildup that Sting got all night. But, uh, you know, even uh, that's why I said I'd like to see a couple of the uh, Saturday night you know wcw shows prior to and after this just to see how it shakes out but overall great storytelling which again had been as you point out kind of seeds planted along along through the entire show i can't help but agree with Meltzer here i'm gonna give this a thumbs up and uh almost it kind of took some of the air out of the main event for me because this was what everything had been building to yeah i it was there was a noticeable difference in the uh and three quarters of the world title match anyways mm -hmm. the the post-match promo from paulie and wrote and rick rude was just very just so good the dangerous alliance criminally underrated i wish it would have had some more time and and they could have uh, i feel like they could today that could have done something they could have done something with that oh yes uh, and there's a part of me that kind of wishes that the dangerous Alliance would come make some sort of return, but I don't know, maybe, maybe it's past its time, but uh, yeah, the concept, obviously not the actual performers themselves, but yeah, it, it um, I guess in that, that ending promo, Paul, Paulie sort of implied that Luger, he wasn't in the stable, obviously, but you know, they'd worked together on this one basically to, uh, to, deprived sting of his u.s heavyweight title and now for our main uh, event of the evening well i just want to give a shout out to battle bowl oh, yes, is battle coming a uh, nice little promo of battle bowl the most confusing pay-per-view and i still don't get it 
but anyways, that's uh, that's on the horizon. That's really going to turn things around for the herd era. Is this the round robin thing? Yeah, it was like eight tag teams and. Oh, that's right. You have random. Ta- that's right. They did, did a uh, random drawing for who were going to be tag team partners. Yeah, uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine Rick versus Scott Steiner or you know Lex Luger and Sting teaming up, which they did later? But <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that pretty well. Yeah, but anyways, we're on to the world title <laughs> uh, match, and it's Rick Steiner versus Luger. Um, this was supposed to be Ron Simmons, but Ron Simmons got hurt. Uh, Ron Simmons, obviously, also known as Farouk in the WWE. We got a run in. We got a run in. A white meat baby face running in here, Jeffrey Dean. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But anyways, uh, Mr. Simmons is nursing an injury. He'll promise he'll be the first black world champion. And, buddy, he knew what he was talking about. Uh, no lies and- detected. No lies detected at all. He does become the first black world heavyweight champion later. Uh, they then show how Rick Steiner got this. Uh, Rick Steiner got this opportunity to take on Luger. You know, I hardly ever think about this guy, but Mr. Hughes had some serious heat back in the day, and he takes he he took a lot of bumps. Poor guy. He had a solid run too, because he was, uh, if yeah. I recall correctly, uh, Triple H's bodyguard there for a while in the mid nineties WWF. Was he true? Yeah, I, th- I feel I like he was. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get on it while you go through your spiel. I don't know. Um, but anyway, so Braun Breaker's father, aka Rick Steiner, uh, enters the match with his brother Scott. Both men are jacked to the gills. Um, bears mentioning that uh, Alex Luger's documentary on A and E is great. By the way, if you it is have an A and E document, you don't have to be a wrestling fan to enjoy it. Uh, it's a, a great story about redemption, and um, I, I highly recommend it. The match is okay. It's sort of slow. I think the uh, Sting match, as we mentioned earlier, kind of deflated the crowd. Uh, Steiner hits him with a power slam and a Steiner line to get things moving. That's when <laughs> you notice that Luger has a busted lift and a black guy. And, yeah. Uh, and the Steiners were a lot of things. Gentle is not listed among them. Yeah, they were. They were uh, notoriously stiff in the ring, uh, especially if they didn't like you. Uh, not sure how they felt about Luger, but it is well known that Luger was an egomaniac at this stage in his, his career. Uh, it was a really nice uh, top rope belly to belly that uh, Rick Steiner performed. And Scott Steiner performs a standing Frankensteiner on Mr. Hughes. Uh, once you see how big scott steiner is at, at this point you can really appreciate on how tough that was and lex uh ends up hitting rick with the belt to get the win the finish saved the match that was otherwise slow i give it two and a quarter stars Meltzer gives it two and a half yeah a couple of things uh kind of worked against this match for me to your point the crowd was like oh shit we still have this to go uh after the sting match like that felt like the main event because that's what everything was sort of leading to so it, it kind of had the legs kicked out from under it to begin with, but also apparently Sting is just fine with the fact that Luger cost him basically cost him his U.S. title because he doesn't show up in this match. Uh, he doesn't do anything. Doesn't, you know, there's nothing. Uh, I mean, Luger presumably passed him in the hallway on the way out. So, but no hard feelings there. So it's nice to know that Sting doesn't really hold a grudge. Um, but yes, and I was, of course I was correct. Uh, Curtis Hughes was also Triple H's bodyguard or Hunter Hearst Helmsley's bodyguard prior to China in 1997. 
So it wasn't a long run, but he did have a, a nice little run here in, in the business. You know, overall, I think kind of taking it for what it is and not counting the two things I mentioned earlier against it, I would give it a, a thumbs up overall. Uh, is me, you're going to get a hard hitting match with the Steiners. To your point, I think, and uh, you know, the documentary you mentioned backs this up a lot. Luger was seen as sort of entitled by a lot of the guys who were wrestlers and had always wanted to be wrestlers. Luger didn't grow up wanting to be a, a pro wrestler. He was a football player and a bodybuilder and just kind of fell into wrestling uh, due to his look. So my guess is, yeah, the, the, the signers weren't too interested in pulling their punches for him, uh, you know, too much. Always like to see Rick Steiner get a world title shot. He just never really ascended to that level as a single. Obviously, um, if we were, had we been doing a Mount Rushmore of tag team wrestlers, there's a strong argument for the Steiner brothers in, in that conversation. Um, but it, it's not as good as it could have been, but I think that's primarily due to the uh, pacing and storyline of the card itself. So I'm going to try and not hold that against it. I'm going to go to thumbs up overall. All in all, I'd say that this is a good card. Uh, clearly I had this one confused with another class. Way better than I thought before. it was going to be. Yeah, the tag match is just hall of fame. Good. Um, I don't yeah. know why the network cut Marcus Bagwell's interview from it. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned uh, that in the notes because I remember at the end, it's like, wait a minute, where's three time rookie of the year, Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Is it three time? I thought it, was it seemed like it was every year for about five years. He was rookie of the year. So I, I don't know. But uh, so the readers of the wrestling observer gave this a 91% thumbs up. Wow. Uh, 91%. And to get those sweaty shut ins to agree 90% on anything is amazing. Yeah, exactly. And then um, Eric Bischoff was asked about why this was so good. And he said there was a good story anticipation enough reality to make it believable a good surprise with ricky and the action was pretty darn solid uh, it was a solid rebound i'd say from the great american bash in july and again i'm, I'm giving it three and a half out of five stars I, I thought it was pleasantly very good yeah pleasant pleasant surprise i would go back and watch some of these matches again uh, in, in my spare time. So, you know, it, it actually, it made me want to go back and watch a few more of the clashes that I've kind of forgotten because I was November of 91. I've been eight years old. So yeah, it, you forget some things over, you know, yeah. two, three decades, um, well, somewhere, somewhere down the line, we, you know, we got to watch clash 14, right? Of course we do. We're going to, I think at some point we'll probably watch all of them. Poe uncle Fred. Uh, I think that was uncle Fred. <laughs> so yeah, when we get a chance to, to watch Clash of Champions 14, you dear dear listeners, we will shock the world with that one. Yeah. All right. Well, there's nothing else on this. Uh oh, I do want to uh plug next week's episode. We're gonna be booking um uh, for two current superstars mm -hmm. that uh are probably not being utilized that the way that should be treading water. Uh, yeah. I will be taking Matt Riddle, JD. I'll be taking one, Mr. Dominic Mysterio. And we will be basically telling you what we envision for these uh, performers based on where they are right now. So we're not doing any do-overs, not going to retroactively hindsight is 2020 booking. We're going to take from right now where they are and what we would do to get them elevated maybe not to the world title but 
certainly above where they are now. All right. Well, there's uh, nothing else to be said here. I guess we can just wrap this one up. JD, I will bid unless you got no, something. No, no. I was just going to say, have a good evening, Ryan, but I want you to hit that that home run that you hit right at the end here. I, let, let, me, let me do I got I got to do my game. Oh, I know. I know. Mike, Live I the gimmick, brother. Gimmick. All right. Well, I will bid our listeners adieu. Adieu.